Let us turn in God's word this morning to Psalm 137 and 138. read these in connection with the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 44, which treats the Tenth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet. Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harp upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, Let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. Psalm 138, entitled, A Psalm of David. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. May God bless the reading of his word unto our hearts. It's on the basis of these passages of Scripture and many others besides that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 44. Lord's Day 44, question 113. 
What doth the tenth commandment require of us? That even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts, but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No. But even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this obedience. Yet so, that with a sincere resolution they begin to live not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. Why will then God have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them. First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 137 sets before us a rather bleak picture of the condition of the covenant nation. Psalm 137 records the lament of the Israelites as they were taken away from Israel and from Jerusalem into a strange and foreign land and made captives in Babylon. There by Babel's streams they sat and wept. They no longer had the freedom of their own nation. They no longer had a king who was the son of David that would rule over them as a nation. But they were now captives to the Babylonians. They would remain there as captives for some 70 years before God would grant unto them deliverance. But it was in that dark hour that Jehovah God revealed that he was still at work in the hearts of his people. It was while they were captives there in Babylon that God revealed that he still had his remnant. The proof that God was still at work in the hearts of his elect Israelites is the fact that they desired Jerusalem. While they sat by Babel streams and wept and wept, they explained what is the reasoning for the tears that came down their cheeks. The reason for their te- tears was not just because they had lost their freedoms and their independence as a nation, 
But the reason for their tears was they could not worship God in Jerusalem. Psalm 137, verse 5. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. God was sovereign over the captivity of the Israelites, and God used this exile, time of exile in a foreign land, to reveal the faith that was in their hearts. What did Israel desire above the ability to use their right hand for work? What did did the Israelites desire above the freedom to use their tongue to speak as they wanted? They desired Jerusalem above all else. Beloved congregation, what do you covet? What do you desire? Would you say, with the elect remnant of old, that you prefer Jerusalem above the ability to use your right hand on this earth. Do you prefer Jerusalem more than what you prefer the ability to use your tongue to speak? What is your desire and what is mine? Let's consider this 10th commandment under the theme coveting forbidden. First, we'll consider The meaning of this commandment, perfect commandment that God gives us. Second, imperfect obedience. Third, perfection awaited. That third point, looking at the end of answer 115, till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in the life to come. What is the meaning of this 10th commandment. What does God forbid of us here? The children know that the 10th commandment forbids coveting. Coveting simply means to desire, to seek, to want something. Coveting always involves movement or progression. We move toward, we gravitate unto that which our heart desires. Think of Lot, who from the plains saw the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw the earthly earthly pleasures that were afforded to the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot's heart sinfully desired the pleasures that were available in Sodom and Gomorrah. It started in his heart But then the scriptures teach us that Lot pitched his tent 
toward Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's an earthly, physical picture for us of what happens to us when we covet. We gravitate unto, we move unto that which we desire and want. Coveting or desiring of itself is not forbidden. In one place in the New Testament Scriptures, we are in fact commanded to covet. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. What Paul is requiring the Christian to do in 1 Corinthians 12 is to covet those gifts that God gives unto the members of the church and then to use those gifts for the edification of the body. And so there are some instances in which the Scriptures call us, require of us to covet, but then other instances, such as the law of Moses, where coveting is forbidden. What we must understand is that there is a righteous coveting, a righteous desiring, and there is an unrighteous coveting and an unrighteous desiring. And what this Tenth Commandment forbids us from doing is from having a sinful coveting. Everybody on this earth covets. Everybody desires. This is part of how God has created us as creatures upon this earth. He has shaped us in such a way that we yearn to worship something or someone that is greater, that is more powerful than what we are. Proverbs. 27 verse 20 hell and destruction are never full so the eyes of man are never satisfied the righteous individual longs for something yearns to worship something or someone just as the unrighteous man longs for something and yearns to worship something or someone, the question is, for whom or for what do you long? Herman Hooksma writes, We as human beings can no more help coveting than you can help seeing with your eyes, hearing with your ears, and tasting with your mouths. God gave us souls and bodies that must covet and that do covet all the time. Forbidden in this commandment is coveting the possessions, the things of this earth. The law of Moses listed out a number of forbidden things from coveting. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, his manservant, nor his maidservant, his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Anything that God has not given unto us, 
and has evidently made clear it is not his will for us to have, we must not covet. But it's not only the case that God forbids us from coveting what he has withheld from us, it also is the case that God forbids us from coveting what he has given to us. It's possible that somebody is able to afford earthly possessions and abundance of things earthly. That he does not then look to the neighbor and say, I wish I had what the neighbor has, but instead he looks at his own possessions. He becomes enamored with them. He spends moment after moment, hour after hour, thinking about his own possessions. God comes to him saying, thou shalt not covet. In addition, we must not imagine with this tenth commandment that if only I had a little bit more, then I would stop coveting. If only God would give unto me this praise. After all, I deserve it. I'm hardworking. I'm industrious. I put in more hours than what the other employee puts in at work. So I ought to deserve this raise, one might justify to himself. Or one reasons within himself, if God would simply take this affliction out of my life, if God would remove this trial or this hardship from my life, then I will be content and stop coveting. God does not put conditions in place. When he comes to you and says, Thou shalt not covet. But then what positively is required in this commandment? The positive requirement is we are to learn to be content with what God has given us. Contentment is a matter of the heart. Contentment does not depend upon having the right outward circumstances of life. Contentment is not something that is found naturally among the people of this earth. Contentment is not something that comes to us as a consequence of having improved earthly conditions. It's not something that we receive after we get what we want. Contentment does not come after we receive the raise. Contentment does not come after the trial in our lives is removed from us. Instead, contentment comes not as a consequence of changed outward circumstances, but contentment comes as a consequence of a changed heart. That's the key 
to contentment? Where is your heart? Contentment is when the desires of my heart are in accord with what God has given me. That's contentment. Receiving and being thankful for what God has given me. Contentment is learned, states the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Contentment is the work of God's amazing grace in your heart, giving you to see that He has provided you with a gift beyond value in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what God requires. Contentment. But there's more that this Tenth Commandment requires of us besides contentment. And Heidelberg Catechism rightly shows unto us that this tenth commandment is more than just about coveting and contentment. But rather, the requirement of this tenth commandment is that we love God with all that we are. Heidelberg Catechism asks... What doth the Tenth Commandment require of us? That even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts, but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. Do you notice the repetition in the answer of the Catechism of the absolute commands that the smallest inclination or thought contrary to God never rise in our hearts, but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. You see, what God is requiring of us in this Tenth Commandment is that we live our lives consumed, filled with a zeal for God and for God's holy house. Psalm 137, verse 5, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. We are to delight in all righteousness. We sing, all that I am I owe unto thee. And that helps us to understand then, beloved, why we call this Tenth Commandment the perfect commandment. Perfect because this is the final commandment that God gave unto Israel of old, and it's the final commandment that He gives unto us. There is no eleventh law, but this is the conclusion, the perfection of the law. Thou shalt not covet. But as well, this is the perfect commandment because in this commandment, God addresses 
the heart of His children. You see, in the other commandments, God addresses the outward activities that we perform. Oh, to be sure, those commandments have application for the heart. But when we read those commandments just at face value, those commandments speak to outward activities. Don't commit adultery. Remember the Sabbath day. Don't make graven images. Don't steal from your neighbor. And so it could be that after one has gone through commandments 1 through 9, that he concludes, well, I have not broken these commandments outwardly. I have not stolen that which belongs to the neighbor. But then God comes to us in this 10th commandment, and in this law, God makes clear that he's not only concerned about what you do outwardly with your hands, about what you speak with your, the tongue of your mouth, but that God is concerned about what is in your heart. Thou shalt not covet what God has not given unto you. As one stands before this tenth law, who can say then, I'm righteous. I've kept the law perfectly. We are inclined unto things earthly. To be sure we need things earthly, we are body and soul. We are created in such a way that we need bread to sustain our earthly bodies. And yet the calling of God is that we are to use all these things earthly in the service of things spiritual. Whatever gifts He has given unto us, whatever possessions we have, the Tenth Commandment requires of us that we use these things for the glory and the honor of Jehovah God. As we stand before this perfect commandment, we see contrasted our imperfect obedience. The Catechism speaks of this imperfect obedience in answer 114. Can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No. But even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this obedience. Small beginning, that means we have just begun in our walk of sanctification. God calls us unto a walk of holiness and gratitude unto Him and thanksgiving for His work of conversion within our hearts. But instead of having completed that walk of sanctification, or instead of being close unto completing that walk of sanctification, our confession is that we have just a small beginning of this obedience that God requires of us. Contrary to the one who takes who teaches perfectionism, 
who teaches that it is possible to attain unto a perfect state of righteousness upon this earth, we maintain that all our lifetime long we must strive and fight against that old man of sin. We pray for the grace to resist temptation. We search the Holy Scriptures for guidance for how we are to live. And yet we fall so far short of that mark which God has set for us. Oh, to be sure, there is growth in the Christian. There is progress in the Christian's life. There are sins which one commits in his youth, against which he struggles mightily, and God, by His grace, gives unto that individual growth in fighting against that sin. So that in later years, that individual is able to turn from that sin. He repents of it and puts that sin away from himself. There is foolishness which is bound up in the heart of the child. And God uses the rod to drive out foolishness from that child's heart. And yet, even though there is growth and holiness, yet, we confess in the catechism, we have only a small beginning of this obedience. You might illustrate it this way. It is like a man who is preparing to go on a long journey. This man knows the destination. He knows where he wants to go. He knows what route he must travel to get to the destination. He knows what awaits him at the destination. There will be peace and there will be riches, a treasure that awaits him when he arrives at that destination. And yet, what does that man do as he prepares to go on that destination toward the treasure that awaits him? He turns and he runs the exact opposite direction. That's what we do by nature. God then, by His Holy Spirit, comes down from heaven, grabs a hold of us, and He turns us, He converts us, so that again our faces are turned unto that final destination that He has set for us. And so then, quickened by that Holy Spirit, we turn and we walk again toward that destination. But then, what do we do? We become distracted by the pleasures and things of this earth. Like Lot of old, we turn toward earthly and base pleasures so that instead of walking toward that destination time and time again, we fall back into sin. Were it not for the grace of God through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, we never would arrive at the destination. And so we confess that for as long as we remain upon this earth, we have but a small beginning. And yet we have a sincere desire to grow 
Yet so, we conclude answer 114, that with a sincere desire they begin to live, not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. Not only some, but all the commandments of God we seek to live according to. The Christian does not have the right to be selective about which commandments he is going to abide by. We may not reason within ourselves that, well, this commandment is more important than that other commandment. And so it's justifiable for me to break this commandment for the time being. Young people may not reason within themselves. I will mature later on in life, after I graduate from high school, after I graduate from college, after I no longer have this influence in my life, then I will begin to strive to keep all of God's commandments. But for now, I'm going to keep this particular sin in my life because I delight in it and I find satisfaction from it. No. We are to strive to keep with a sincere resolution all of God's commandments. As we seek to keep God's commandments, we need encouragement in this, do we not? Imagine a student in a university who has been assigned by the professor to write a term paper. And so that student gives himself unto writing that paper. He studies, takes notes, prepares a draft of the paper, edits the draft, revises it, improves it, works on that paper with all of his might. At last, after having given all of his effort unto that paper, the student submits that paper unto the professor in the university. The professor evaluates that paper, gives a grade to that paper, and hands that paper back to the student. And the grade that is given to the student is an F. You've made a small beginning. But that's it. You are so far short of having achieved the standards that I have set for you that you have failed this paper. And then that student receives another assignment. And the student likewise pours all of his energies into that next assignment and does everything that he can in order to meet the requirements that are set for him. And again, after having that paper evaluated, the student receives another failure. Beloved, if that is what characterizes our lives upon this earth, then who would not become discouraged? If the best that we can do on this earth is have but a small beginning of this obedience that God requires of us, then who would not be tempted to throw one's hands up in dismay and say, it's not worth it? 
I give up. Thanks be to God that in his tender, loving care for us, he gives unto us encouragement. And the way that God encourages us is he sets before us the proposed perfection of heaven. The Heidelberg Catechism at the end of answer 114 speaks of that. We are to pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. How amazing is the love of God. He sets forth perfection in front of us in order that we may anticipate it, yearn for it, yea, covet that perfect life with God. He describes for us in his word the glories that await us. He describes the splendor of heaven, a mansion which belongs to a city, the city of the Lord. This city has within it bulwarks and towers and palaces. Walk around this city, Jerusalem. And consider the beauty of that royal city. Hear the songs of the citizens of that city who cry out in praise unto God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Behold the peace the perfect peace that characterizes life within that city of God. What confidence we have that the Lord will take us to the perfection proposed to us. Psalm 138, verse 8, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. The Lord will perfect that which concerns you. With all of your sins and all of your weaknesses, God takes us. And through Christ his Son, he perfects us. It is through the preaching of the gospel that God sets before us this glory that awaits. That's why the catechism teaches that God will have his commandments so strictly preached. So that we more and more can see before us with the eyes of faith 
this promised perfection. Oh, the preaching sets this perfection before us in a most humbling way. It does so by contrasting the perfection that awaits with the sins against which we struggle all of our life long upon this earth. The preaching exposes our nature. It reveals to us the darkness of our hearts. It shows unto us how we did not long for Jerusalem above all else. The preaching convicts us of coveting not Jehovah God, but of coveting the things and possessions of this earth. But then as well, the preaching sets before us our only hope. It reveals unto us the selfless love of God, demonstrated in sending His only begotten Son into this earth, Psalm 138, verse 6, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. The preaching reveals unto us that God is the God of infinite wealth, who delights to share the riches of his wealth with us. Contrasted against the dark backdrop of our depravity shines the light of the gospel which we love and which is our only hope. May God work in us that more and more we yearn to be with Jesus in that heavenly city. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, Thou who dost maintain the cause of the afflicted, who gives deliverance unto the oppressed, who lifts up Thy people as on the wings of an eagle, we pray, Father, will Thou strengthen our faith, will Thou teach us to number our days, to apply our hearts unto the ways of wisdom, Thou receive our worship and forgive us our sins. For Jesus' sake we pray this. Amen.